All right, let me start with the invitation and turn in your Old Testament to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 13. It's my opinion that you don't get asked to turn there very often, so if you need help finding Numbers, it's in the first five books of the Old Testament. Turn to Numbers chapter 13. You see on the screen there uh, this word anxiety and this word fear. For the month of May so far, we've been talking about anxiety, and we're kicking around different themes that fit in to this broad idea of anxiety. And fear is a part of that, but fear and anxiety are not necessarily the same things. Depends on who you talk to, but fear and anxiety are at least cousins. So that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, It's been almost 10 years now since this happened. My daughter was born June 27, 2012. So this is a younger version of me holding her right after she was born. And I remember that day being filled with anxiety and fear. I was very anxious when we went to the hospital for the time for my daughter to be born for numerous reasons. I experienced the spinning mind, the racing heart, the tightening gut, you know, those symptoms of anxiety that we've talked about earlier in May. I experienced all those at the same time and very intensely. And nobody warned me, at least that I remember, that when you go to the hospital to have a baby, sometimes it can take 12 to 15 hours. I thought you just went in, boom, it's over, and then you, you know, it's scary, but you get it over quickly. This, this thing stretched out for 12 to 15 hours, and I'm nervous, and I'm fearful, and I'm feeling all this, so I tried to distract myself, and I played this game called Temple Run. Anybody play this game? Familiar with it? Uh, It still exists today, but I I played this on my phone in 2012 compulsively for over an hour. I did this to try and distract myself, and if you're not familiar with the game, pretty simple. You have a a running man who's running full speed, and you have these, whatever you call them, I call them scary flying monkey things that are chasing you as you're running. From the moment you start running out the gate, these things are chasing you, and if you start to slow down at all during the game, they start to close in on you. And you just run and swipe your thumb. You can dodge things, slide under things, jump over objects, turn sharp corners, and you just go as far as you can until you fall off into the water or these scary monkey things catch you. So that's what I did when my daughter was born, you know, during that whole process is I was just trying to occupy my mind, calm my anxiety down, and I played this game over and over. But ever since then, when I think back to that night, and I think about that game, sometimes I think that life feels like a game of temple run. Now, to some of you, that may sound like a stretch, but just follow me. One way that life feels like a game of temple run is I feel like we're always running full speed. Maybe you don't feel that way. We kind of talked about this several weeks ago when we talked about the thirst of a dry and an empty soul. As we, We're so busy with our lives, we're like that character on the game where you're just running and running and going and going to the, to the next thing. But also, time is going by full speed. Life goes by so quickly in a flash, and I can't slow time down. And I think of James chapter 4 and verse 14 where he asks the question, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Life in itself is just running by full speed. So that's one way that life is like a game of temple run. And another way is that if you've ever experienced or wrestled with or battled anxiety, it can feel like it's closing in on you. 
Like it's right behind you like those scary flying monkey things about to just capture you if you're not careful. If you've ever experienced anxiety, maybe you can relate to that and you know what I'm talking about. And the third way that I think that life can be like this game of Temple Run is we're running from perceived chaos. We're running as if something's chasing us and we, we're running full speed. We turn the corner and we, we know that chaos is on the other side of the corner. We just can't see it yes, we, yet. We just anticipate it. On May 1st, when I talked about the disquieted soul, I gave several definitions of anxiety. One definition that seemed to really resonate with a lot of you comes from Max Licato, and he said that anxiety is the consequence of perceived chaos. Not that there necessarily is chaos, it's perceived chaos. And sometimes that's what life feels like. We're running from something that we're afraid of. So let me ask you this question, what are you afraid of? Or if you don't know how to answer that, you know, just think about it for a moment, but you can think, what do you fear? Some of you may think, I don't fear anything because we want to come across as tough. So if you have trouble figuring out what it is that you are afraid of, what fears that you struggle with, let me rephrase the question, what are you running from? Just sit with that for a minute. What are you running from? If you're still having trouble thinking, think about it like this, what are you trying to avoid? What is it in life that you just keep avoiding, you keep running from? And if you can figure that out, you can probably pinpoint the things that you are afraid of. Now, a quick disclaimer. When it comes to talking about anxiety, you know, different phobias fit under that category. And when I talk about fear today, I'm not talking about specific phobias. I'm not trying to diagnose anybody. And if you have struggled with a phobia in your life, you know, you might need to see a therapist or a doctor and get some help in that. You know, there's strategies and ways to overcome those fears. And that's not what I'm talking about. When I talk about what are you afraid of, what are your fears, I'm talking about those, those fears that seem to work in the background of our life. And I might call, you might say it like this, they're looming in the shadows. What are those things? What are those fears? And if you don't know what you're afraid of, if you don't know what you're running from, and if you don't know what you're avoiding, let me give you a few examples, and maybe you can find yourself in here somewhere. Think of your own example. Maybe you're running from and you're afraid of difficult conversations. Anybody chronically avoid conflict? Okay, I've done that most of my life. Uh, We're not very good as human beings, just in general, at dealing with conflict. So when there is some kind of difficult conversation or some kind of potential conflict, a hard conversation coming around the corner, we might try to avoid it. We'd rather sweep problems under the rug than actually deal with it. And when that happens, what we wind up doing is we avoid people. We know that certain people may bring conflict into our lives, we just avoid them. Well, if you're avoiding them, if you're running from them, then that shows you what you're afraid of. What about being honest? Maybe you have an addiction or a problem or some kind of sin in your life, and the thing that you fear the most is just owning up to it. Just being honest that you have that problem and confessing it to someone else. Maybe you fear responsibility. Some people like to just move from one job to the next, from one adventure to the next, because you don't want to stick around in a place for long enough to have to deal with the responsibility of what would come along with trying to stay committed to a church or a job or whatever it may be. You're just running from one thing to the next. Or you might say that one of your fears is sharing your faith. I mean, how often do we share our faith with other people? 
The people that you work with, the people that you go to school with, do they know that you're a believer in Jesus, that you're a Christ follower, or do you just hide that because you're afraid to let it be known? What are you running from? What are you afraid of? Think that to yourself. And uh, so, One of the books that I've mentioned so far in the sermon series is a book called Managing Leadership Anxiety. It's written by a guy named Steve Cuss. At the top of each chapter, he has a quote. At the top of chapter 1, the very beginning of the book, is this quote right here. All people should strive to learn before they die what they are running from and what they are running to and why. When I first read that quote, I thought, oh, there's something there. And I came back and I reread it and I reread it multiple times and I've thought about that question for myself and maybe I have a few answers. What is it that I am running from? So we're going to move in now to Numbers chapter 13. So I hope that you open your Bibles because I don't have the text on the screen. And I, I do think there's, there's power in God's Word. So if you follow along, you're going to get something out of this. In Numbers chapter 13, we're about to experience fear with the Israelites and see how powerful fear can be and how it spreads throughout groups. I'm not going to read every verse in Numbers 13. I will paraphrase them, some things along the way. In verse 1 through 3, the Lord comes to Moses. He speaks to Moses, which would be an awesome thing. And, and God says to Moses, identify 12 leaders, 12 men from among the 12 tribes, and we're going to send them out into Canaan's land, into the promised land, to spy it out, scout it out. Now, quick context, God has brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, and into the wilderness, and they're at a crucial, a crucial time in their history they're preparing to enter into the promised land. So that's what's going on. And the men that are chosen here, these are leaders. Keep that in mind. These guys are identified as leaders. Well, verse 4 through 16, we get their names. We get what tribe they're attached to. I won't read that. And I'll pick up in verse 17 through 20 as Moses gets ready to prepare them to send them out. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up there into the Negev and go into the hill country and see what the land is like and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land they live in is good or bad, and whether the towns that they live in are unwalled or fortified, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. You get the idea. Go figure out what this land is like, what the people are like, and then in the middle of verse 20, I like how Moses says, be bold. Be bold and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now it was the season of the first ripe grapes. Moses, I guess you could say he gives them a little speech here. He's telling them, you guys are leaders. I'm your leader. God has initiated this. You're going to go for 40 days into the promised land, scout it out. And so they do in verse 21, 21 through 25. For 40 days, they sneak around. They observe the land, they watch the people, and they even get some of these grapes that Moses told them to get. And these grapes were so huge that they had to put them on a pole and had two men carrying that pole. One of my early Bible teachers, when I first remember hearing this taught, said that these grapes were so big that they wouldn't even fit in a shopping cart. I've always remembered that. These are giant grapes. Right? So they come back and they're going to give their report in verse 26 through 29. They came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the Israelites in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. 
They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they reported to him and said, We came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So they have this pole with all the grapes on it to present. And what they're saying basically is, Hey, what God said about this land is true. It does flow with milk and honey. Turns out God was right. But then in verse 28, you kind of see this fear start to creep in. Yet the people who live in the land are strong, and the towns are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. So they come back with this report. Everything's good, the land is great, but the people are really big, and it's kind of the classic good news, bad news. And then from there, you see this response from two of the ten, and then from ten or two of the twelve, and then ten of the twelve, Caleb speaks up in verse 30. And this is what Caleb says. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. We find out in Numbers chapter 14 that Joshua is right there with Caleb. Caleb is the spokesman. His attitude, and I love this, I love his spirit, is, I don't care how big they are, we can do this. God is with us. Don't be afraid. It's time. I love that attitude that Caleb has. And Joshua as well. But then you can contrast that with the other ten who are supposed to be leaders in verse 31, and this is their attitude. The men who had got up with him said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. So their attitude is, We can't do this. You're out of your mind to think that we're going to be able to go in there and defeat these armies because they're so much bigger and stronger than we are. They completely forgot God's promises. It's like they forgot what God had done for them in Egypt. And fear settles in. So you have two voices saying we can do this. You have ten voices saying we can't do it. Many years ago, I felt compelled maybe a nudging by the Holy Spirit to be involved in jail ministry. So I signed up and I went to the training and I became a part of the Titus County Jail Ministry. And I'll never forget the first night that I went to, this, to the Titus County Jail to, to be in this ministry. As soon as I pulled up, I remember they said, don't bring anything with you. So I, I hid my wallet under my chair in my car under my driver's seat um, I left my phone in my car. I had one key with me, and you put that key in a basket. You go through a metal detector, and then you have nothing with you. They take you down a hallway, down a door that locks behind you. And then you're starting to be exposed to some of the inmates, and I'm like, okay, this is interesting, but my heart's beating a little bit faster. Uh, this is, those doors are locked behind me. I can't get back out there. And then I was paired up with this older gentleman named Tom who went to church with us, nice older man, he had been doing jail ministry for a while, so he's a veteran. He didn't seem afraid at all, but you could tell I was a little bit worried, so they brought us down one hallway, the next hallway. Every door that we went through, it closed shut and locked behind us. Finally, they brought us back to this room where there was about 40 inmates waiting for us to conduct this Bible study. And the guard said to us, I'll be back to get you after a while. And he leaves with the keys and locks the door behind us. 
At that point, I again, I'm experiencing the spinning mind, the racing heart, and the tightening gut all at once. I just, oh, the fear came over me, but I can't run. I can't run from the fear because we're locked in there. So Tom, this nice, sweet, gentle, older man, I, I leaned over to him before we started the Bible study, and I said, Tom, what do we do if these guys decide to riot? And Tom leaned back over to me. I was expecting for him to like, give me a safe word or say something comforting, but he leaned over to me and he said, well, if they decide to riot, I guess we'll just get the tar beat out of us. And, and then he started the Bible study. I was like, well, that doesn't help me at all. Uh, that night was facing the fear. It was right in it. I mean, thrown into it, doors locked behind you, you cannot run. But guess what? It was okay. God was with us. I was a part of that ministry for the next three years. I watched God work in some really powerful and amazing ways. I even have stories about times where I would walk into a cell and would meet former youth group kids. I mean, something I could have never expected. I, I watched God work in some really interesting ways. But I had to step into that fear at first. And overcome that fear. And fear can be so powerful. And, and fear really can be crippling. But once you start to face it, you realize maybe it's not as powerful as you once thought. But I do remember that first night. It was like there was two competing voices going on in my head. It was what I would call the faithful voice. It was the voice inside of me saying, God has called you to do this. God will equip you. You're okay. Don't be afraid. You ever hear that voice? Yeah, I like that voice. But then there's also the fearful voice that was competing against the faithful voice, and the fearful voice was telling me, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Why do you keep putting yourself in these positions? You are much more comfortable at home on the couch watching TV. And those voices are loud. And I don't know if you hear them too, but I think you get the idea. And we have to choose, and I have to choose day in and day out, especially when those fears can really creep their way into your mind. Which one are you going to listen to? The faithful voice that probably comes from the Holy Spirit or the fearful voice that comes from the enemy? And that's exactly what's happening in Numbers chapter 13 is you have these voices that are competing against each other. Caleb and Joshua, they're saying, we can do this. The other ten are saying, we can't do this. Let's run. Let's get out of here. In verse 32 and 33... So they brought to the Israelites an unfavorable report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land that we have gone through as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great size, like they're giants. Verse 33, there we saw the Nephilim. The Anakites come from the Nephilim. This is, you can read about them in Genesis chapter 6, these giant-sized people. And look at what they say at the end of verse 33. And to ourselves we seem like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. That fearful voice coming from ten of the twelve started to spread amongst all the people. And they took on a grasshopper mentality. That's what you could call it. They're saying, look, we look like grasshoppers to them. That's how small we are. They're just going to squash us under their feet. We need to run. We need to get out of here. Well, fear and anxiety... As I mentioned last week, if you're with us, they're contagious amongst groups of people, whether it's a church, a family, a school, whatever it is. Fear, anxiety can spread, and that's exactly what happens. That fearful voice dominates, and in, I won't read Numbers chapter 14, but the, the people start saying, hey, you know what? It was better when we were in Egypt. Let's just go back. 
Let's run from this. Let's go back to what we were comfortable with, even though they were prisoners there. Let's just go back and do that. And let's get a new leader. Forget Moses. So this fear is contagious. It spreads. They start thinking irrationally, even though Caleb and Joshua and Moses and Aaron are pleading with them, do not be afraid. We can do this. God will be with us. And by the end of Numbers chapter 14, Caleb and Joshua, who chose faith over fear, are going to be rewarded for it. But everybody else that chose fear over faith, they have to suffer the consequences, and they're not going to get to go into the promised land. I read a book several years ago called Into the Silent Land, written by a guy named Martin Laird. And the book was about prayer and your prayer life and contemplation, but part of what he mentions and writes about in this book is fear. It came to me at a time in my life where I was experiencing some powerful and intense fear. And one of the quotes from this book is Laird says, if you want to make fear grow, then run from it. Create strategies to avoid meeting it directly. If you want to make fear grow, he's being a little bit sarcastic. Because nobody wants fear to grow because we don't like experiencing fear. So why would we want it to grow? He's being a little sarcastic, but he's saying, yeah, if you want it to grow, run from it, avoid it. Because the more that we run from the thing that we're afraid of, the more it's going to grow. Eventually, in the name of the powerful name of Jesus, we're going to have to face those fears. I started this 20 minutes ago asking you, What are you afraid of? What are you running from? What are you avoiding? If you're still having trouble thinking of something, let me give you an example that I experienced in my own life when I was in my early 20s. I was living in an apartment complex, and uh, right across the, the walkway from me was a guy that I had developed a friendship with, and I was really trying to minister to him and help him because he was struggling. He was an alcoholic. And this alcohol abuse was starting to destroy his life, so much so that his boss told him he's fired unless he makes a change and sobers up. And so one of the agreements that my neighbor had with his boss was that he would go to an AA meeting. But he came and talked to me about it, and he was afraid. He didn't want to go, and I told him I would go with him. Okay. So I go with him, drive him to this AA meeting, We go in there, and you can tell he doesn't want to be there. He is completely afraid of facing this problem and being in this room. And when we sit down and other people are sharing, he keeps mumbling under his breath, I don't want to be here, I don't want to be here. And I'm like tapping him like, shh, be quiet, you know. And then finally, he just has this outburst in the middle of this AA meeting, our first time there, and he says, I don't want to be here, I don't need to be here. And he got up, and he literally took off running out the door. And everybody else like looking at me, and I'm like, sorry, you know, and I apologize. They were very gracious. I got up, I followed him out the door, and ended up driving him home because he wouldn't go back in there. Because he wasn't ready to face that problem yet. He literally ran from it. If you were to ask him at that point in time, what are you afraid of? I think he was afraid of snakes and mice. And that's probably what he would have told you. But the truth is, What he was really afraid of was being honest about this addiction that he had. And that's what I mean by what are you afraid of, honestly. 
Not just like little specific little fears, I don't like spiders, but what are you afraid of? What are you running from? What are you trying to avoid? And if we can learn to name that, instead of constantly spending our lives running from it, like I said, in the powerful name of Jesus, you can turn and slowly start facing it. We see modeled for us this faith over fear in Caleb and Joshua. They were that faithful voice saying, we can do this, but then you have that powerful voice also saying, no, we can't do this, we should run. And we really have a choice of which voice we're going to listen to. And you look at Jesus in the Gospels, and over and over again, there's so many things that Jesus could have been afraid of, but He kept walking into that fear, all the way to the cross. At the peak of fear, when the disciples take off running and desert Jesus, He's the only one still there walking, fear, walking straight into His fear, right in the face of fear. The passage we read, Caden read for us earlier from Hebrews chapter 2, is Jesus' own death on a cross frees us from our fear of death. And from being held slaves to the fear of death because the enemy, the devil, held that power, but Jesus broke that. And I mentioned at the end of the sermon last week that underlying most fear in our life is going to be this fear of death and we're no longer going to be here and what does our lives mean? And we don't realize it, but that kind of works at the root of a lot of our fear. But Scripture tells us that Jesus broke that chain. He broke that bondage with His death on the cross, His burial and resurrection. And so on a day like today, I don't know what your fear is, I don't know what you're running from, I don't know what you're avoiding, but in the name of Jesus, we can slowly turn and walk towards that fear. And if we can help you in any way today, if we can pray for you, if we can encourage you, if you're ready to become a follower of Jesus, please come up, see me, see one of our elders. We'd be glad to pray with you and meet with you. I'm going to invite Joe David back up here to continue to lead us in singing. Would you be free from...